Welcome to the latest edition of the OmniTalk Spotlight Series from Grocery Shop 2019. This is the podcast series where we discuss the technologies, the companies, and the people that are shaping the evolution of retail. Today's episode is brought to us by our sponsors, Rebango. Rebango partners with retailers to eliminate lines and save people time. You can learn more about checkout free technology at rebango.com. And also, Listener. Listener powers transactions and better checkout experiences across the customer journey with the most advanced ultrasonic technology. Visit lisnr.com for more information. And today we are thrilled to turn our spotlight on Jeremy Naren, the CEO of Grocery Key. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate you, you know, taking the time today, and it's it's exciting to be here. I've been a big fan of the show for a long time. Thanks, man. That means a lot. We've been a big fan of yours. We've known you. We've known you for a while. It's been. I think I first met you. I think. Well, I heard you speak actually at Home Delivery World in Atlanta a few years back. Hot, down yeah. south. Yeah, hot Atlanta. Um, and was super impressed by the speech and what I got to hear. And then, and then, yeah, it turns out we struck up a relationship, and now we're here at. Here at Grocery Shop, which I gotta remember to say correctly every time, Grocery Shop, Grocery Shop 2019, and uh, yeah, excited to sit down and 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 tell the world kind of more about, tell the retail world really more about who you guys are and what you do. So let's start there. I always try to find a different way to start, but it seems like every time I come back to the same question. So, Grocery Key, yeah, tell us a little bit about that. What is that? Yeah, so um, I always say I am a lifelong e-grocery nerd. Um, I've been in oh e-commerce gosh. grocery for 13 years. 13 years. Okay. 13 years. So um, since I graduated from UW-Madison in 2005, I've effectively been in uh, e-commerce grocery. Um, started a business in Madison um, that was a, essentially a, um, a, a convenience store on wheels. So we, okay. we offered about 1,000 SKUs. We warehoused everything um, for close to a decade uh, and we would deliver in 20 minutes or less. Really? And we were um, purely e-commerce from the beginning. So back in you know 2006, it was actually a little bit unique, especially in the Midwest, um, to offer you know um, local delivery and only do e-commerce, not accept orders over the phone, was actually a bit foreign to people. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you know, warehousing all of our own inventory. I was 22 years old, had never been in retail before. Like literally was, you know, like running down local delivery trucks to figure out how we could set up an account with wholesalers and things like that. Um, so that, that was like how I got started in e-commerce grocery um, in 2006. And that business lasted for 10 years and um, kind of transitioned into what is now Grocer Key. So um, should we talk a bit about the impetus for you yeah, know, what, I, what I was led just to the transition? Ask you, like, yeah, how does yeah, a twenty-year-old yeah. college kid like? Well, yeah, before we go to grocery key, I wasn't yeah, yeah. expecting like that incredible buildup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How does a twenty-two-year-old yeah. college kid decide like I need to make a mobile convenience store? Yeah, yeah. So and pre iPhone, right? Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. Are yeah. certifiably insane? Or not, like, not what, really. What, what is going on there? So, um, admittedly, it was not totally my idea. There was a similar business running out in uh, DC. Okay. Um, uh, called DC Snacks. Okay. Um, and that was thriving for many years, catering to the George Washington and Georgetown okay. uh, student population. And I had a few friends that went to uh, George Washington. Oh. And so, you know, was out there visiting some friends and experienced this service and thought it was really cool. And um, having gone to UW Madison, you know, um, second or third, I think, biggest, uh, you know, college campus in the, in the U.S. So, mm. 
felt like this was a service that could actually really thrive there. And so I kind of had, had it in the back of my mind for a few years. I mean, I was a history major in college, never thought I would be an <laughs> entrepreneur. Um, That's why but, we get along. That's, I was too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there I you was, go. Yeah. And you know what? I find actually a lot of entrepreneurs were history majors. I don't know what there is about that. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> I have no excuse. Because it doesn't repeat itself. Or it does repeat itself, right? Well, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There or gloves for punishment, I guess. There's something there, though. Yeah. Um, so anyhow, I had this idea in the back of my mind for a few years um, and, you know, just had had a number of reasons to be back in Madison. OK, um, I did have a brief stint after school as a teacher here you know, in the Twin Cities. OK, um, but, you know, I, I, I felt like, I, you know, it was the right time for me to take a risk and it wasn't a huge one. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I started the business with $1,500. I ran it out of my apartment the first year. I made wow. every delivery myself. Um, I used a, a friend uh, in the Twin Cities to, to build the website. So super bare bones, and it was low risk, and it was exciting, and an excuse to spend more time in Madison, which I really enjoyed. And it was, so it was a college play, essentially, then, it, from the get-go? It was. Um, you know, naturally, we had customers that were not college students, mm -hmm. but you have, uh, you know, I think it's like 55,000, 60,000 undergrad and graduate students in the Madison area, you right. know, like in a three-mile radius. Right. So that was, you know, naturally our go-to demographic. And I think the important here, the important important point here, excuse me too, is like that was a long time ago. Like, mm -hmm. and that's a lot of bootstrapping, and that's a lot of knowledge in terms of how to get that done. When you're making yeah. those deliveries yourself, and you're creating that interface on what you say, fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah, like that's a lot of grit, and that's a yeah. lot of effort. So, yeah. I think that's important for everyone to recognize who's listening. And so, so okay, so yeah, transition. So yeah, at what point did that happen? And you're like, okay, now what? Yeah, yeah. So I mentioned we warehoused all of our own inventory. Um, actually, out of a desire to scale that business, we transitioned into operating out of a local grocery store in downtown Madison. So my thinking was, so this is about eight and a half years into the business. Okay. I'm thinking- So 2014-ish, 2013? Uh, yeah, 2013. Okay. okay. So I'm thinking, how can I take this business to every college campus across the U.S.? Mm. And the inventory was always the challenge because, you know, I think we were working with 15, 20 vendors and as, you know, like a largely bootstrapped, you know, fairly lean company, that was a challenge. And then I'm thinking, how do we scale that across the U.S.? I was thinking that's not going to happen. Right. So we need to figure out how we can leverage someone else's supply chain. So okay. I go to a local grocery store. I had a relationship with the owner and I basically said, can I use your store as our warehouse mm -hmm. and I'll give you a, a percentage of sales? Um, it was actually a great proposition for me, you know, for him. So naturally he said yes. And um, we transitioned to operating out of his store virtually overnight. So I want to make sure. Hmm. So, so you essentially were almost micro warehousing out of his store and like you're just out of his back room using it as your kind of warehouse and fulfillment center. Correct. Correct. So, and it was so he was ordering product for you guys or you were ordering product and just storing it in the grocery store. Well, so we were just leveraging his inventory. Okay. Basically, mm. everything that we had already offered, he stocked because it was a you know we had a pretty traditional convenience store slash, slash grocery store assortment. Okay. Kind of like the top thousand movers call it in a traditional okay. grocery store. Um, and so this he is already, in Wisconsin, still in Wisconsin. This is yeah downtown Madison. Okay. What's number one skew at a convenience store in Wisconsin? Mm -hmm. Well, for us, it was Ben and Jerry's ice cream. <laughs> okay, fair. <laughs> no kidding. Well, one of our claims to fame actually was we put the local Ben and Jerry's franchisee out of business. No way. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's look, that, that's late night delivery, college yeah. students, right? 
have what you you put, know have you that put two and two together. together. Yeah, right, exactly. right, right. But so that's exactly. but that's fascinating though. The reason I pause there. So back in 2013, 2014, there was some benefit from a relationship to actually warehouse and deliver out of existing store locations, which is a big movement right now mm-hmm. uh, as well. So I mean, you're For seeing sure. that. I mean, that's almost 10 years ago. So it's amazing to think about that. There were even seeds of this being planted and now they're you know kind of germinating more which we'll get to but yeah for sure yeah we were yeah we were doing micro fulfillment back in 2006 and it just you know it didn't have all the sexy automation that you read about today <laughs> right but it was it was explicitly micro fulfillment yeah um and then yeah transition into you know a more traditional um in-store fulfillment you know format by operating out of a grocery store mm-hmm. and um what kind of the impetus was that retailer happened to have their own um branded e-commerce business run by a company by the name of my web grocer okay Okay. which at the time was you know the de facto market leader in the white label e-commerce grocery space okay and so over a period of about a year we got to witness you know some of the pitfalls of the solution you know seeing the retailer operate um you know utilizing their software and we had built all of our own software at this point it was actually fairly robust because we're a decade into the business we had learned all the things you need to build into you know an e-commerce platform um, not just on the consumer facing side but more importantly on the fulfillment side right Um, and then obviously a lot of expertise around pick and pack and local delivery Mm -hmm. operations so we started thinking you know it, maybe we're we're thinking about the wrong business to scale here. Here's a retailer right in front of us that's kind of craving a little bit more, mm-hmm. especially on the fulfillment side mm-hmm. um, when it comes to the software. And mm-hmm. also, you know, they could use some expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we kind of decided, you know, basically that, you know, the, the now business model for Grocer Key made more sense for us to scale um, than being a, you know, a direct to consumer business. And correct me if I'm wrong too, but the is how important is that just that knowledge you built up over that almost ten year period? You you mentioned the back end, but also just how the back end works in concert with mm-hmm. what's coming to life on the front end. Yeah, how important is that as you're going through this process as a local grocer or any I, grocer really? I mean, to me, it's everything. Okay. Um, you know, I always tell retailers this is an operational business made better by technology and not the other way around. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges now for retailers is they get hit with all these technology solutions. I mean, I think in our space alone now, there's like 15 or 20 solutions mm-hmm. out there being sold just in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know, the, the the technology itself is really not that meaningful mm-hmm. in, in the broader business. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of the ugly stuff that no one thinks about in terms of, you know, how do you reduce pick times and how do you reduce out of stocks? Mm-hmm. All of that stuff lends itself in the end to the customer mm-hmm. experience. Um, and I think that's kind of what makes or breaks the success for mm-hmm. a retailer. And how do you make that all visible to the consumer, too, on the front end as they're shopping in terms of all the different options and Exactly. Making easily via search and whatnot. Exactly. Okay. So then, so then, so let's pivot to that. Then let's sure. pivot right to grocery, grocery key. Then now, as it stands today, then in mm-hmm. terms of all those lessons learned, where is your focus now, and exactly what do you help with? Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, going back to the beginning, we're leveraging the software we have built. Obviously, now we're about five years in, so it's become more and more sophisticated over time. Um, but we're also assisting with you know pick and pack and and local delivery for for retailers. So um, the first major retailer we started working with is a chain by the name of Woodman's. Um, many have likely heard of it. Many likely have not because they're very regionally focused. Only have stores in Wisconsin and Illinois. Um, but it was very formative for us. We partnered with them right out of the gate, and they asked us to come in and operate their whole e-commerce business. So our software has evolved over the last you know, four-plus years in the context of operating this business ourselves um, in a very, very complex environment. Um, for those that are not familiar with Woodman's, their stores are about 250,000 square feet, hmm. um, about twice the size of a Sam's Club for perspective. That seems um, large. It's large. It's <laughs> Why a big are store. they so much larger than most of? It's just kind of their unique sauce. Hmm. Um, they carry a hundred thousand unique items per store. Wow! Um, but this is Jeez. all traditional grocery, um, so it's not you know um, not anything beyond a traditional grocery assortment. They just carry everything you can wow. imagine, um, and you know very very price competitive. They're cheaper than Walmart. Wow. Um, so they just they create a lot of efficiencies and they pass the savings on to the customer and um, they just they really just are laser focused on that and that's what makes them that that's what makes them unique. It's probably a good petri dish for you, right. I have to think. A hundred percent, yeah. So f- from the beginning, they gave us full access to their stores and um, they they just said we're not going to operate this business. We need to license your technology and we need you to actually come in and you know strategize what kind of services should we be offering our customers and then y- we need you to manage it. Well, let's double click into that. It's yeah. one of my favorite expressions. Also. Yeah, it's a, it's a good one. Overused, but it works, it's right? Like, is it? It's kind of dorky. But so what? So everyone listening can know exactly because I think this is really important. What are all the things you're doing then as kind of that white label solutions provider on mm-hmm. the software side? Yeah. You know, what specifically from a front end capability, what specifically from packing, picking, mm-hmm. the whole nine yards go through yeah. that because I think it's pretty impressive as you lay it out. Sure. So, you know, on the front end, you know, you mentioned there's a lot that has to go on in concert on the back end. So we need to be accepting feeds um, typically multiple times daily from the retailer for each of their individual stores, because ultimately we have to represent that assortment to the customer. um, And we want to drive towards as close to what that retailer believes they have on hand. Um, sadly, many grocery retailers still don't have inventory management in place. So the key is it's to the best of their knowledge what they think they have on hand. So we've done a lot around how do we solve for that. You know, obviously there's a lot you can do from a data perspective to determine, you know, which items are a problem, which are not. Um, but so anyhow, we're representing on the front end to the consumer um, what the retailer believes they have on hand. Um, we're doing a lot, as you alluded to, to you know optimize search. Um, and then you so know, you're basically running the, the the portal for these guys. The entire consumer facing side of the business is is run by our software. Amazing. So it's both a web app and native mobile apps for iOS and Android. Um, so customers can you know use any device to order, and they can download a retailer's branded app mm-hmm. to place orders. Um, and then you know there's a huge amount that goes in, obviously, on the operations side, and so. Um, our software can, you know, either help a retailer or help our, you know, our, our staff who are, are working with retailers uh, fulfill orders. So we can, you know, route the customer or sorry, route the, the personal shopper um, through the store in the most efficient path. 
scan verify product. If something is out of stock, we can make a recommendation um, that either the customer informed us or that we're informing the personal shopper through our own data, you know, what they should pick instead. Um, you know, you can batch pick, you can zone pick, all sorts of things to make in-store fulfillment, which is inherently, you know, an inefficient environment mm -hmm. to fulfill orders to make it efficient. Yeah, and what's the full range of what you're covering there on the fulfillment side? I mean, we've we've talked and we've written about all the different options out there, whether it's third-party pickers coming in the store, the store doing all the picking themselves, mm -hmm. um, using some kind of courier service a la DoorDash or somebody like that to come mm -hmm. in and, and, and run the orders to the to the homes. Mm -hmm. Like, what all of that are you doing and what are you capable of doing? Sure. Um, so we utilize W-2 workers. Um, that was a strategic decision we made from the beginning. And frankly, we're happy, uh, you know, we did it. We're still proponents that W-2 um, for in-store fulfillment makes sense. And there's a ton of reasons for that. You know, you get to know the store better. You can develop relationships with department managers and things, which plays into reducing out of stocks. Um, and, you know, as people get to know the store better, you gain efficiencies, which leads to cost savings that can then be passed on to either the consumer or the retailer. So all kinds of benefits, um, we think, to having W-2 workers. Um, so that's how we've run the business for, you know, shopwoodmans.com, Woodman's e-commerce business, mm -hmm. which is still totally run by Grocer Key today. Um, early on, we did make deliveries ourselves. Um, but, you know, so much has evolved in the third party delivery space in the last five years. So we have experimented with a number of third parties, um, have a good relationship with DoorDash now. Um, they are now responsible for, for delivery at all Woodman's locations. Okay. Um, and, you know, we do really recommend them as a, a provider for other retailers, just given the scale they've achieved. Um, you know, there's there's just so much they can provide from like a reliability perspective um, and, you know, service level and, and ultimately cost as well. That's wild. So like, I, and I know you can't share all who everyone that you're working with, but like mm -hmm. generally speaking now, how many accounts are you running at any given time and how big is this operation? Mm -hmm. So we work with a, a dozen retailers throughout the U.S. and Canada, um, all, you know, regional chains, you know, similar in size to Woodman's. Um, you know, so other examples would include, uh, you know, Bashes down in Arizona, uh, Fairway in Iowa. Um, so, you know, very often, um, you know, multi-billion dollar chains. Um, and so I would say, you know, our sweet spot is, you know, top 150, uh, you know, grocery chains in North America. Um, and, you know, service level could be anything from we license them our software to uh, we step in and actually operate the business much the way we are at Woodman's. And stand up that workforce. Exactly. And what's the thing, Jeremy, that you find that these regional grocers are, are most impressed by when they come on to work with you? Or, or what's the, the, the big reveal for them where they're sure. like, we need you to come in and, and save save us or keep us competitive? Yeah. So I think it is often the operational expertise. We okay. typically um, bring retailers into the Woodman's environment so they can see it, you know, in the flesh. Um, and I think that's pretty eye-opening for retailers. Sure. That like, you know, if we couldn't see this, if we couldn't get an understanding of all of the details that play into this, it'd be really difficult for us to figure it out ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it is, you know, it's years of you know, iteration that goes into that. And it's a really complex business at the end of the day. I think a lot of times... Um, it's oversimplified because if you're not in the business, you see a website and you think, oh, this is an e-commerce website. There's so much more behind the scenes. And so I think retailers see all the work we've put into all that detail. 
I think that's huge. I mean, I from my background, having come into e-commerce at a very late stage, you know, and only having had exposure in stores, both in merchandising and running stores, mm-hmm. and then being thrust into a position to say, run an e-commerce business, I knew absolutely nothing mm-hmm. about how it worked. Like I was a deer in headlights on the first day, mm-hmm. and I think you're. And then I would go and talk to people that were still running traditional side businesses, and it was exactly like you said. You look at they look at a website and they'd be like, "Oh, this is how it works. This is how it functions." Like you absolutely have no idea. Yeah. And so, like you know, ten plus years or whatever of understanding what is a really and grocery especially like a really complex way to do business Mm -hmm. via digital Mm -hmm. that's a hell of a lot of training that Mm -hmm. just can't be recreated and so you talk about like you know experience isn't something you have to after you need it you guys have it yeah Mm -hmm. like you've done it you've had all the arrows in the back the things that work the things that don't i think that's that's probably my biggest takeaway from this for anybody that's listening or thinking about this is like look, these guys, they've got the track record, they've done this, mm-hmm. and like, look at the full range of capabilities here. Mm-hmm. I mean, on that point, what's your advice then for people that are in this situation, and people, I mean that, you know, grocers in general, and it yeah. doesn't have to be regional grocers, really. I mean, I think this is, you know, something that everyone kind of needs to think about. Mm-hmm. What are your, as people are trying to say, okay, direct-to-consumer groceries coming, all the reports are it's gonna be a huge explosion in that business over the mm-hmm. next five to 10 years. What are the like three to five things you would tell those people listening right now to say, okay, here's how you get ready for it. Mm -hmm. So number one, you know, to me is think about how do you serve customers and operationalize the business, um, you know, more through iteration than through features and functions. That's the biggest downfall we see is the retailers that come out guns blazing before they've even stood up the business, thinking about all the bells and whistles they want on the website and then it takes them a year to launch and then they're just in in my opinion they're a year behind right like i would rather see a retailer launch two to three months in with more of a stripped down you know website um less of a sense of what their customers want but then spend that remaining you know nine ten months learning what the customers want um slowly integrating bells and whistles based on you know informed decision making Mm -hmm. um to me, that's like that's the biggest thing. I know you asked for three or no. five things, but like that that to me is like that's numero uno for well, sure. I, I have a hundred questions off that because yeah. like I think that's amazing because and here's why like what you're doing is really unique and this is our special sauce too. I think as a show and what I pride ourselves on, I think Anne and myself is mm. what you're doing is also a unique blend of digital capabilities as well as physical capabilities. Yeah. And there's a lot of things and a lot of dependencies to go into that. And so you can't boil the ocean. Mm-hmm. So talk to us then about what's the best way to do this? Like mm-hmm. you don't want to just, the one thing, I, the reason I ask is I, one thing I struggle is there's always the pilot craze. We're going to pilot this. Yeah. There, it feels like there's the thousand pilots going on and nothing moves forward. Yeah. But there's something subtle in what you said there in terms of like how people need to think about this experimentation in a stepwise progression and also think about what is the true definition of a pilot and the best way to do it in Mm -hmm. this type of situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so to me, it's how can you reach the most customers possible as efficiently as you can? Mm -hmm. Um, This is a strategy we took on with Woodman's, and it's what I would recommend really to any retailer at this point is if you utilize um, strategically located delivery hubs. So just take a subset of stores in a given market, it strips down your need to operationalize the business at every single store, um, but you can serve a broad radius of customers with home delivery from each of those strategically located stores. So 
Um, you can stand it up quickly. You can serve, you know, really an entire customer base in a given region. Um, and you could iterate really, really quickly based on, you know, um, you know, that, that initial launch. And, and does that mean then by default then that you can think about the front facing e-commerce positioning for the whole market mm-hmm. versus like trying to trap yourself into kind of the fallacy of like a one store pilot and the self-fulfilling yep. prophecy that that doesn't work? Yep. Yep. Exactly. So by, by using the strategically located stores and serving a broader market, you can then market to that whole customer base. So, you know, an example to draw from Woodman's, the first store we launched was in Madison, Wisconsin, but we offer delivery to all of Madison which then allows Woodman's to, to market to all customers in the Madison area. We then launched one store in Milwaukee. So now we can market to all of Milwaukee. So we're marketing to two decent size you know, cities Markets, yeah. out of two stores. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we can truly learn what's working, what's not working, um, and make informed decisions going forward versus, you, you know, to your point, a lot of retailers will launch one store not put it up on the corporate website at all. So even people maybe looking for this experience aren't going to find it. They can't market to anyone because it's just in one store and they're not serving a broader market. They might even just be doing curbside pickup. Right. So it's literally, you know, the only way you can find out is if you go into that individual store and see like a sign somewhere saying, hey, we offer curbside pickup at this store. You don't really learn anything. And like you said, that becomes kind of a a self-fulfilling prophecy, I think, for a lot of retailers that – you know, maybe have internal naysayers that kind of don't want to see this succeed because it's so new and different. Um, or they're they're just scared. They're scared to to scale the business because it's it's fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's and that's really important. Like, I, so key takeaways for those is like, think about go small and bite it off in chunks on the e-commerce side of the business, especially mm-hmm. the front end on the digital side. Mm-hmm. Think about how you set up for the entire market in terms of what the consumer wants. Make your logistics do that for you. Mm-hmm. And then you have a consistent experience you can test because otherwise the converse of that is that you get a self-fulfilling prophecy of something yeah. that people aren't going to understand, that you're not going to be able to market to your consumers. And at the end of the day, you're really not testing the fulfillment capabilities that you need to service that market for the long term anyway. A hundred percent. hundred percent. That's great. I mean, yeah, it's probably I, the biggest takeaway from the entire show all year. Well, I think the one thing I would add, too, is at Grocery Shop, there's a there's a million people here with new technologies that, you know, you can test everything from robots to, you know, uh, management software for employees. And I think that everything is valuable, but... What we've learned through the last year of, you know, what's happening in the grocery industry, especially for regional grocers that are attending grocery shop, is that if you don't have a plan for this Mm -hmm. right now or how you're going to take e-commerce grocery forward, you're in some real trouble. And Mm -hmm. so thinking about this as a platform that you're exploring here and starting and kind of prioritizing in your list of pilots that you have going on in the store is is going to be kind of a make or break moment, I, I think, for, mm-hmm. for this industry, especially for those regional participants. Yeah, for those listening, I think, at Grocery Shop, too, it's an interesting concept. It's like, because you're going to see a ton of technologies right. this mm-hmm. week, right? It's like, is this a market-based technology in terms of how you need to think about the approach, or is it more of a store-specific technology? Mm-hmm. Like, you could get into robots roaming the aisles. Well, okay, yeah, yeah that makes sense for a one pilot. Correct. You get into something like this, 
that's a more market-based approach. And have Correct. you thought about that at the top of the funnel in terms of where you're making your investments? Yeah. Well, and how, how critical that is in, in deciding what else you're going to pilot. I mean, if you if you have your, exactly. your foundation of this is how our e-commerce platform, this is how we do fulfillment, this is how operations are run, then it's like all of these cool, flashy technologies that we see here on display at Grocery Shop make more sense if they're operating yeah. as part of this foundational element um that you guys are helping provide a hundred percent and i mean the, the good news is there are a lot of mature technologies out there and mature service providers that can help retailers catch up really quickly mm-hmm. obviously the, a lot of those are on on display at, at grocery shop um so i mean there is a, a sliver of good news even for retailers that yeah. you know maybe um you know haven't had success yet or haven't even gotten started yeah, just think about the right approach and what I think it's a great point, and like what works in complement with mm-hmm. the right approach. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. All right, well, let's get you out of here on okay. our favorite thing to do. Uh, this is gonna be fun. This is gonna be fun. Uh, so <laughs> we're gonna now ask how we're gonna try to find out. I should say how millennial millennial you are, Jeremy. I think right. technically based on your background, you probably fall into that category. I actually always say I'm a zennial. Are I'm you a because I'm a, I'm on the cusp. That's what yeah. he always says too. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. I That's mean, awesome. All I right. don't want to not necessarily be associated with all of the elements of the millennial. Yeah, just so some I of think zennial is probably the best way yeah, to. Yeah. Who needs it. labels? Oh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, let's play how millennial are. All right, let's do it. Okay, Jeremy. First question: You're at a grocery store. You're checking out. You have the option to do mobile payment or pay with cash or credit card. What do you do? Interesting. Um, so this is my zennial side. I'm I'm fairly old school. I'm not a mobile payment guy. I use a credit card still. I cannot believe this. I can't believe how prevalent this answer is either. I, I mean, we've been doing this show for two years, and like, I would say, what do you think it is? Eighty percent? Yeah. Or I mean, ni- almost ninety. I would. It could even be higher than. What that. are you using mobile payment for? Is there anything that comes to mind, or are you pretty much straight up? Again, card? I'm pretty old school in that regard. Yeah, I get made fun of a lot actually for like being the CEO of a tech company <laughs> right. and then doing a lot of like fairly old school things. Deservedly like so. Deservedly yeah, yeah, so. Yeah, you know, it's it, I always take it. I, yeah. Let me ask you this question. I think this we've never asked this question before on the show, so you know, you don't have to answer this. <laughs> okay. Do you have okay. a wallet? Do you still have a leather wallet? I do not. Okay. I use a broccoli band. Okay. A broccoli band? Yeah, I, pr- I prefer minimalism. Like an actual band from a, broccoli. Like from a Literally, stock. yes. Okay. Um, so my older brother and I, um, we've both been huge fans of this for many, many years. We okay. give them away to other people, actually, so that they can do the same. But I don't have like having a lot of bulk yeah. in, my, in my pocket. Fair. And so this is a way to minimize that. So how long does the average blo- broccoli band last? Um, well, actually, so I need to get a new one because oh. mine broke like last week. But it lasted, I think, a couple years. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So they're pretty durable. Wow. Yeah. Who knew? They're, yeah. they're going to maybe be for sale on the Grocery Key website at some point yes. in time. That might be perhaps. another business, actually. We need to think about this. Like, so I'm actually not kidding. Uh, my older brother <laughs> thought about <laughs> that. <laughs> I don't know how much money there is in that space, but we yeah, thought right. about it. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Too expensive to ship. That's yeah. amazing. Um, all right. Um, okay. So in the last week, then, I might already know the answer to this. How many times have you ordered food or coffee or um or delivery for that matter from a mobile device or app yeah so i'm i'm more millennial in that regard that would be that's a several times a week okay deal for me pretty routine what what are your go-to's 
Um, so, you know, I mentioned DoorDash, so I am a fan of them for, for restaurant delivery. Um, you know, kind of as like a, a student of e-commerce grocery, I order from like everyone okay. um, to learn more, sure. but also obviously, you know, super busy and value the convenience of getting groceries delivered. So that's kind of the name of the game for okay. me. A lot of food getting delivered home. Okay. One, yeah. one and one. Uh, <laughs> let's see and what. Yeah. New oh. kid at home too, right? So I imagine you guys are having to, you know, make exactly. everything as convenient yeah, as eight, possible. Eight month old baby at home. So. You layer that on top of entrepreneurship and any convenience we can get, we'll take it. <laughs> you're, you're busy and tired. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Okay, last question. If you could only use one social app for the rest of your life, as we know it right now, what would that be <laughs> oh, man. and why? All right, so I honestly think that 10 out of 10 people that know me would know the answer to this, and it's a little disturbing, but it would be LinkedIn. Okay. Um, I'm like a power LinkedIn user. Um, I've gotten so much, so much value from it. Y- yeah. I, I feel I, like there I, should I be a, to be there should be a, there should be a pin on your broccoli band for LinkedIn power user. Perhaps. If there were, I probably would put it on there. Um, no, but it's just I've gotten so much value from it, and it's super practical. Um, I'm not really like a social media guy outside of work, so sure. for me, it's like how can I put this to practical use and. I'm able to do that with LinkedIn. Good for you. I feel like that I just recorded a LinkedIn ad. No, I had a feeling you were going to say that. Like, yeah. just knowing you on LinkedIn, I mean, that's how I think we first, you know, started to just kind of yeah. deepen the relationship as mm-hmm. the years went on. So, yeah, I'm not surprised at all. Mm-hmm. I, that seems like it's – that's the other thing I think that's becoming abundantly clear in these questions is that LinkedIn, for especially for people running companies as entrepreneurs, as CEOs, it's like it's just the go-to at this point. Yeah. Like it, it's uh, it's probably one of the most important integral things that yeah. we use every day. Right. I'm. I think it's it's interesting to see how uh, what's creeping into LinkedIn. Have you mm. noticed this yet? How it's like more photos and stuff. It's becoming like Facebook for business. I'm nervous. Mm. I am I'm too. nervous. Yeah. Too. too many memes. Yeah. We yeah. got to get the memes off of LinkedIn. Right. Let's like, start let's a keep movement. this professional. Yeah. Exactly. Let's keep this like this is like to me. LinkedIn's becoming like suit on top, like. Bahama shorts on the bottom. Like yeah. I'm worried about. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to preserve my Baham- feed. Bermuda shorts is what I meant there, not Bahama shorts. Yeah, no, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, I'm trying to trying to preserve the feed. You gotta hide people that are you know doing that kind of stuff. But it's uh, yeah, let's let's hope it stays professional. Uh, like yeah, and it's tough because I mean we're kind of in that business too. But yeah, it's starting to blend that line of like YouTube versus you know true business like savviness and yeah. you know what can you learn from there versus what do I want to see. This took a downward spiral for, link, for LinkedIn. It yeah, right. Sorry, so we love you. We, but gotta, we love you, LinkedIn. We, we gotta love you, keep LinkedIn. it real. Gotta be play both sides. <laughs> Although you do need to make tagging much easier yeah. in your platform. <laughs> all right, I, all right, yes. all right. We're getting oh we're going gosh. down a dark road. Um, so, Jeremy, if people want to find out more about you, they're at the show. Um, what's what's the best way to get in touch with you? Mm-hmm. So, again, old school, just you know, email always the best way. Um, Jeremy at grocerkey.com, and I'm going to spell it because it is often misspelled. G R O C E R K E Y. Oftentimes, there's a Y that sneaks in at the end of grocer. Oh, sure. So it's grocer key, not grocery key. Um, but yeah, email is the best way. Um, uh, we're not doing a booth this year at the show, but uh, we do have several folks from our team here, and you know, would love to chat with uh, with grocers and other you know platform providers and things. And great to be here. Awesome. Well, thanks for doing this. It's a great. It was fun to sit down. We've been wanting to do it for a while. And again, if you're at the show, yeah, hit these guys up. Hit him. He loves LinkedIn. Hit him up on LinkedIn. I think if you've got a few seconds and this is a space you're curious about and you want to learn more about, the, Jeremy and his team are a great group of people to talk to to do exactly that. So again, 
Thank you, Jeremy. Jeremy Naren, CEO of Grocer Key. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show. And to all our listeners out there, be careful out there.